just a New Year's resolution. I'm going to commit murder at midnight. Welcome to Now Playing's review of New Year's Evil. Happy New Year to you. Hosted by Stuart. I, I always knew that bastard was crazy. Arnie. He had a head start on his New Year's Eve celebration. And Marjorie. You bad, huh? No, just evil. Should old acquaintance be forgot? What you will remember is detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Well, we're really off to an interesting start, aren't we? Crazy trips must be a full moon. Well, let's start our own celebration here, okay? Today, we're discussing New Year's Evil. <laughs> I dare you to talk like that the entire podcast. There'll be no lyrics left. No, that has already hurt my voice. <laughs> Starring Roz Kelly, Kip Niven, Chris Wallace, Grant Kramer, and directed by Emmett Alston. Call me Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. All right, I'll try. Wait, that hurts. I can't do it. It hurts, dude. I'm Stuart in L.A. Go on, Marjorie, do it. Uh, I can't. I got the mouth movements down, which you can't see. I've been walking around going, New Year's Eve, though. Spoken to someone that's had a good Christmas Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is Marjorie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, we have made it. What a year, but it's over. And assuming that the Mayans are wrong, we've lived. We made it through 2012. An incredibly ambitious year for now playing. Big, big franchises. Movies I've always wanted to do covered. Batman, Alien. Arnie, I know you were super jazzed about Avengers, Spider-Man. What a year! I know, it has been unbelievable. Well over 80 podcasts this year. They just kept putting more on us. Even at the very end, when we thought we had an easy holiday season, ah, let's make another Silent Night film. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, just when we thought we were out. Coast easy and do, uh, yeah, five films. Nope, got to pop another one in here. But it's been a great run. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to not do any of the one. Well, Ghost Rider. I think that would have been the one that I wouldn't have wanted to do. But funny, the ones you bitched the most about started the year with all the TV movies. Oh, God, but that doesn't really count. (laughs) We spent six weeks on them. I'm in theatrical releases. I'll always resent having to do those TV movies. But for movies that I had to go and pay money for in the movie theater, I feel like, yeah, we had to do those movies. It was a big year for going to the movies in 2012. But we've reached an end. And what better way to kick in 2013 than with this movie? Now, I hadn't heard of this movie. I think every holiday has its slasher film, right? And this one is New Year's. But... I'd never seen this before. Somehow it eluded me. I think it came out just a little bit too early. 
and it's kind of obscure. This has never had, like, a real video release. If you want to own this movie, Amazon has it in their print-on-demand library, where if you are the rare person who orders it, they will actually send off to the printer to get one. <laughs> that means it's fantastic, right? <laughs> we don't think that there's any more than a couple people that want this, so we're just going to make it one at a time. Suddenly, Amazon's going to get a run on this, and they're not going to know why. No, it's on Netflix, so I uh, could have saved my money, but it wasn't on Netflix when I ordered it. Look, Arnie's not about saving money. <laughs> Clearly not. Maybe you ought to buy it twice. Why just twice? I'd buy the soundtrack. Oh, God. No, we have to talk about the soundtrack. We'll talk about it all, but my first experience with this, it may have been my first slasher. I remember this coming out on late night cable and wanting to stay up and seeing it. Thinking, I don't know why, but for some reason I had in my head at this time, I must have been seven, eight years old, that this was going to be absolutely terrifying. And I don't think I made it past Yvonne's death in the opening of the movie. But I did always remember this movie. I've always wanted to come back and cover it and just felt like, here we are, Tuesday, December 31st, we have to cover this movie as we head into a new year. I've never seen this movie before that I could remember. I don't think it's anything I would have watched. I love slasher movies, but I was more of a Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees kind of person, not this like terrorizing soap opera type killer. What are you talking about? It's a holiday killer. Halloween, Michael Myers, Jason, Friday the 13th. Those aren't holidays. Yeah, they are. Halloween is. All right, I must admit, I'm a little disappointed he didn't dress up in a top hat and baby diaper. (laughs) You know, I'm going to make the case. Evil is as good as any of them. Oh, that's a hard case. Yeah, that, that's that's going to be really <laughs> difficult here. I'm going to try. That's all I know. And I've, maybe I've had one too many. We don't need a very special episode of Now Playing Stuart. <laughs> you can give me the riot act tomorrow morning. Whether you agree with me or not that evil is a classic slasher killer, this is the kickoff, really, for a huge decade in trash entertainment from Canon Films. Now, you guys must know Canon, right? If you ever watched a Chuck Norris movie or an American Ninja movie, if you lived in the 80s at all, chances are you watched one of these stinkers. Yeah, I mean, Breakin', Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. Of course, I know canon. In fact, I used to love it when the canon logo would start a movie. I knew I was in for some trash, but some fun trash, usually. I mean, we're talking like Cyborg and... And Masters of the Universe. Hey, don't be knocking Masters of the Universe. I mean, hell, we covered them with Texas Chainsaw 2 as well. So this isn't our first time in there, but this is one of their early movies. Yeah, and their only foray that I can think of, I don't think they did horror. That was the weird thing. As much trash as they made, they really didn't do that much horror, other than, as you pointed out, Texas Chainsaw 2, a little bit different. I think that was a comedy. But they didn't really try their hand at this kind of slasher stuff, I think maybe because of this movie, because it was not the huge success that the other holiday slasher films were. I can't say I'm a Canon fan, but coming back to it, I think I know what I'm in for when I see that early logo and just think, wow. Let's get into it. Arnie, I can't wait. Count me down for the plot. You know, I'm just so sad because Silent Night, Deadly Night series is over. I can't sing you another Christmas song, Stuart. I wasn't expecting that, but maybe you could just kind of run through it. Fortunately, there is a New Year's song, though. (laughs) Oh, of course. Oh, boy. Something fine. 
on New Year's Eve in Los Angeles. Diane's hosting her show, counting down the new wave hits from the year before. But on the town's an evil man who's harassing Diane. At midnight in each time zone, a girl's killed by the man. If you can tell, I had a couple drinks before this New Year's song. Evil records of all his kills are on an old cassette. He calls Diane and plays the back. His kill count will be met. He kills a nurse in a nut house. And then a ditzy blonde. Two of them, really. He also stabs the blonde's best friend, of whom he was not fond. I was getting to her. I know, I, I, I just was impatient. <laughs> Please go on. But when the mountain time zone comes, evil's plot hits a snag. His chosen victim gets away, one less for the body back. As midnight approaches in L.A., evil's plant a shape he heads to Diane's studio with his bag of cassette tapes you didn't even bring up the crazy son I know we're gonna get into that <laughs> next verse <laughs> I'm always one step ahead. But why does evil kill the girls? What motivates the man? Turns out he's Richard Diane's husband. He is not her biggest fan. Richard feels castrated by Diane. <laughs> She holds all the purse strings. She ignores her family for her job, focused on all the wrong things. We'll get more specifics about the sun in a second here. Oh man, how long does this go? Yeah, this is uh, gonna. Make it past midnight, I think. Diane's son Derek is also nuts. He puts pantyhose on his head. <laughs> Thank you. And stalks around the studio 
will he also end up dead? No, he ends up in Killer no, Clowns. he has partnered up with Dad to put to death Diane. But Richard's cover is real bad. Cops chase after the man. All right, fellas, let's bring it home. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Richard is cornered on the roof. Is his night of murder stopped? He takes a dive right off that roof. Dead on the cement he's dropped. And now it seems that all are safe, but Derek's mind has snapped. He kills the ambulance driver, putting on his dad's mask. That mask! We are going to talk about that mask and everything else in this crazy movie. Is that a Richard Nixon mask? <laughs> I think that's Lou Abbott of the Abbott and Costello fame. He was the thin one of the comedy duo. I thought it was Richard Nixon. No, it's definitely not Richard Nixon. Well, this movie starts with a much more rocking song than the one I just built. Are, are you sure about that? I <laughs> love this soundtrack. I have an eBay saved search for this soundtrack. Of course you do. Did you find it? Because I couldn't. I have not. It is a saved search just in case one ever is listed. I don't even know if there is one officially, but there is some astounding, I wouldn't exactly call it new wave music. They call it new wave music. No, the first song sounded like a Rush tribute band. <laughs> There's a blues number in here. I think B.B. King is in on this. There's a jazz number, too. <laughs> it's crazy. New Year's Eve! The theme song is awesome. All kinds of greatness. At a certain age, heavy metal music is really scary. When I first saw this movie and the appearance of these punks, mohawks, tattoos, earrings on men... All of that stuff is terrifying for little Stuart in 1981 when he's watching Late Night Cable. And now he's Stuart from L.A. That's tame. <laughs> well, I live in L.A. now, and yes, that's a relic of the Sunset Strip. It's not like this at all. But when I was a kid, I honestly, I refused to go into the Hard Rock Cafe because someone told me they haze you. And while you eat their ribs and hamburgers, they give you mohawks and tattoos that you don't want. <laughs> Aww. So by setting it in this environment, I thought that that's what this movie was going to be about. I thought it was going to be about killer punk rockers, and it was too much for me. After they took out Yvonne here in the opening, I couldn't handle it. I turned it off. Well, now I want to take you to the Hard Rock Cafe and pay someone to hold you down and give you a mohawk. <laughs> you couldn't get me into the Hard Rock Cafe for the food. I can't pay those prices for that meat. <laughs> you don't want to either. I'm sure it's horrid. Anyway, sticking with the movie, what's really surprising here is how much they're selling the punk rock scene in this opening credits and how irrelevant it proves to be. It's just sort of the background music to a story about a middle-aged woman. 
The big shocker of New Year's Evil is it has nothing to do with the demographic it's selling itself towards. No, and did you notice most of these quote-unquote punk rockers were dancing like they were at a Grateful Dead or Fish concert? They were just kind of like moving around, kind of like they're on some pot and just kind of dancing in one spot. There's one scene where there's like some stage diving and slam dancing, and then it goes back to they're just kind of like there's a guitar solo that's going on for 20 minutes. They're not real punks. They pull a switchblade and it's one of those switchblade combs. <laughs> That should have been my indicator that this is not real punk, but I did not see it at the time. Well, and do you guys know who the middle-aged woman was? It's Pinky! It is! It's Pinky Tuscadero! <laughs> Fonzie had a girlfriend in a pink jacket that was almost as cool as he was, and she was cool enough to get another gig. She's here. She's the star of the movie, Rods Kelly. And I had to look it up because I figured she was 55, 60. She was 37 only in this movie. <laughs> She was a hard 37. She was. You know, slasher movies are still in the embryonic stage. They don't know what the formula is. If they were to make this movie now, and they are, by the way, if they were to make this movie now, it would be about a bunch of teenagers that have made a bunch of resolutions but are going to party first and then are killed ironically by the method of which vice they're giving up. Who the hell makes a slasher movie about a middle-aged mom whose son is fully grown and crazy and whose husband is a drunk in Palm Springs? I mean, this is not your typical heroine at all. She's certainly not a virgin. She's certainly not what we expect here. She's not age-appropriate, and it's a real weird one. I'm pleasantly surprised that we're not going to get a cookie-cutter slasher movie here by making the choice Blaze Diane as our heroine. Well, let's see. Husband's in Palm Spring, overaged media star, grown son. Yeah, this is the share story. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm having trouble when this movie starts fixating on who the main characters even are. Because we start with Blaze, as she's called. Her real name's Diane, but she goes by Blaze as her stage name. And she's getting ready for some kind of New Year's show. And I'm trying to figure out what kind of New Year's show she would be on. She looks like a spokesmodel from The Price is Right that's gone over that hill that the little price guy climbs up. <laughs> and <laughs> You're mean. Her son is there and he is weird as hell with his mouth and his hair. And then she's got her friend Yvonne who's somewhere in a hotel and she's the first victim. And I'm trying to think, who is this movie focusing on? Who am I rooting for? Who am I against? I was really having trouble finding footing because I could never have suspected that our heroine, our victim who we want to see saved is Blaze, who is in these very early scenes shown to be a mega bitch. She is and she's a bad mom. Her son has been trying to break into acting and is so proud of himself because he got a role on a soap opera. Not the way he's acting here, he wouldn't. <laughs> It's called Spaceship America. I think it's like a Buck Rogers thing. Look, he got a job. He's a deadbeat. I thought for some reason it was a soap. Maybe I was making up in my own mind, or I think maybe later on it's stated differently. But I just can't buy her as someone we'd root for, except for the fact that this is a movie from 1980. We still have a lot of that 70s sensibility of everybody's a bad person. I think that we're supposed to think that she's punk. This is the punk attitude, is that she's just rough and tumble, and we're supposed to like her because she's edgy. She's scary. She's intimidating. She's a harder Elvira. She's Elvira mixed with Nina Blackwood. But, of course, MTV's not even on the air yet. I mean, they're not even playing off MTV. 
Yeah, I had some trouble fixing on that, too, and trying to figure out, did radio people ever have this level of stardom? Is she like Casey Kasem with tits? Maybe it was like a local TV show. Yeah, she was trying to compete with Dick Clark's New Year's Countdown. I don't know how much success you can have doing that in a Holiday Inn at the Sunset Strip, but... Keep in mind, even though we didn't have MTV, we did have solid gold. Yes, these shows were starting to pick up. Canon was, for whatever reason, tapping into the musical genre as a youth market thing. They had just made another movie this year called The Apple, a fantastically bad movie. I highly recommend if you want to watch a real stinker. I think they just wanted to tap into punk rock, music scenes, the hipness of that, and that's why we're going with Blaze here. That's why she's the star. You can't underestimate how popular Pinky and the Fonz were. But keep in mind also, Pinky and the Fonz were popular because there were a couple, but she was only on like two or three episodes. But our first kill is Yvonne, and I gotta say it's a pretty damn good kill. I'm impressed with this at the start, because she's there in the bathroom, and the faucet's leaking, and she turns it off, and then she's pulled in, and we see the knife. It's kind of like the reverse of Psycho, right? Instead of the killer killing the person in the shower, the killer's in the shower and does the stabbing. It's the only kill in this movie where we don't see the face of the man killing it. That's another big shocker that is not keeping with slasher movie formula, which is that for much of this film, we don't know who he is in relationship to the other characters necessarily, but we see his face. And it's not like he's got a good gimmick or anything. We see his face, but in this opening scene, we don't know who's doing it. They set it up like this is going to be a whodunit in this opening kill. And I think that's why it grabs you, as you're wondering who is behind that shower curtain when Yvonne gets pulled back and switchblade. You say that this is before they had the formula down, but by this point, they'd had Halloween in the 70s. Friday the 13th had come out the same year, big hit. But I have to judge this as a slasher film. And just because it's an early fetus of a slasher film that was never fully brought to term, I have a hard time giving it some allowances because, like you say, this is the only time we don't know who the killer is. I think that by setting up Blaze and having this cast of characters around her and one of them's the killer would have been far more intriguing rather than the way this movie goes, which is letting us know who the killer is and following him. And the only why we're asking is why he's doing it. And then you're just left to the fact of, are you having fun with the kills or not? Those are the only two things to go on. I feel like they really did want to hold back the identity of the killer. I bet they even played with the idea of making this movie in first person so that you never saw his face. It just wouldn't work. You can have a silent slasher stalking people and never see his face. But if this guy is going to meet new people, seduce women, I just don't think that we could accept those scenes and never seeing who's doing the seduction. And really, this entire movie is focused on Richard, or as he calls himself, Evil. (laughs) (laughs) I love Evil. I don't really like Richard that much, but Evil is great. He's hysterical. Yeah, it really is. The phantom voice caller, when he rings into Hollywood Hotline, I just love it. You bad, honey? No! Just evil! (laughs) I'm completely sold. I want to love this guy. And I immediately thought, if this guy's the killer, I am down for this movie. And man, the green arrow, I will have to get Chris, our graphic designer, to make a more intense color of green for how strong I will recommend this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hearing he's not going to have to do that programming now. Well, we'll see. That's sad. But at that moment, though, I was having a lot of fun with it. I love the voice. I love that he's calling into the radio show. 
thinking back to 70s horror, I figure later on, the calls are coming from within the hotel. <laughs> yes. Black Christmas, that was a big part of it, was that the killer was calling from upstairs. When a Stranger Calls had been a hit slasher movie from a few years ago. Two of the cops in this movie were in the movie previously, same year, called Don't Answer the Phone. Yes, they're definitely, I think, going to use the phone thing to their advantage. All that it really is is a way to get the killer talking to Blaze. Then cops come to trace the call, but never actually find him. He's always actually calling them and saying where he is. And he says that at midnight, someone close to her would be killed. And so I'm wondering, was Yvonne just kidnapped to be a midnight sacrifice, or is she dead? That is another hook for me right now. I thought it was pretty clear she was dead. No, they cut away to the sun. What they imply with this is that he's going to kill the sun, not her. He's hanging out in her hotel room alone. She's kept asking him, come up and see the show, and he's just being weird and antisocial and hanging out in the bedroom and watching it on TV. He also talks about calling Dad, who's in Palm Springs at a resort, and... Unfortunately, this exposition lets me know immediately who the killer is. Immediately! Any amount of suspense is blown. Here's the only thing. We see Richard kill more people through the time zones as they go through, but we never saw Richard kill Yvonne. I am not convinced it is the same killer. And in fact, I am betting that weirdo son Derek here is actually the one that killed Yvonne. Ooh, that's an interesting theory that we will never have any way yeah. to prove or disprove. <laughs> it makes sense. I see where you're coming from. But given the rest of this movie, I don't think anyone was that clever, Stuart. But I thought they were in on it together. Son was trying to be like father and didn't know that father already had a plan. When they say he's at a resort in Palm Springs, and meanwhile, we're cutting to scenes at a sanitarium, I'm thinking that resort is a euphemism and daddy's in the nut house. And I'm again going back to Halloween. Michael Myers was in a nut house. I want to know if in a sanitarium with these virtually catatonic, completely out of it people, if they really do put little pointy hats on them and blower toys in their mouth. But I hope not. That just seems cruel. Oh, I hope so. That just seems fun. Blaze is expecting him to show up for her radio show. She's disappointed that he's in Palm Springs drinking. I thought that he had a problem with alcohol or drugs. He couldn't have been institutionalized because he makes the phone call from the payphone outside the Crawford Sanitarium. Right, but they do say he had been committed there previously, too. Right. It would make more sense for him to break out, to actually make the call from inside, then put on the doctor's uniform and go to town. But I think that they think we won't put it together that it's Richard, which is very sad that they think so little of us. But again, because Blaze spends her whole time on stage, she's not a likable character. <laughs> she's not an attractive woman. She's not hip. Looking back and knowing what I know of the scene back then, I still don't think she was edgy. Well, no, of course not now, but I'm saying at the time, she was definitely as hip and as scary as all the other punks that show up in this movie. But I don't know. I'm not having a problem identifying her as the main character, and I'm kind of liking the fact that she's untraditional. I would have been much more disappointed if she was the mousy bookworm that had been dragged along by her punk friends for a night out on New Year's Eve. But because she is just trapped there at the show, talking to the cops, her son doing all these weird-ass things, but we know he's not the killer. Of course, we figured out that the father's the killer. I see that insanity just runs in the family. 
I thought he killed Yvonne. You know, he pulls out a switchblade, he cuts into this nylon, he puts it over his head and starts moaning and tearing up roses. I think that this is telling us that he is going to be a psychopath too, and that he was the one that ultimately will have killed Yvonne. That the ending will be, oh, they put Richard away, I'm safe now, and then son goes crazy on mama. But the film really isn't focused on them. It is focused on Richard and his night out and his various disguises where he goes to do his kills, starting with Eastern Standard Time. (laughs) Okay, this was something I got completely wrong. When I first talked about this movie in some other podcast, about how hilarious it was, I remembered it entirely wrong. I thought the killer actually killed at midnight in each of the time frames. And thus, I'm like, how in an hour does he get through customs, hop a plane, and find a new victim in the next time zone over? It's not that at all. It's not nearly as ridiculous as I remembered this premise to be. He is remaining in the Los Angeles area, which makes me wonder, well, why does he care about the other time zones? Why does he have this gimmick at all? I actually thought he was killing in each time zone, Stuart. They didn't clarify that, and I just assumed. And I'm like, well, how could he do that an hour? (laughs) The clock on the wall is how you know. At the sanitarium, it's a quarter till nine when he seduces the nurse and brings her into the private ward for champagne and specimen cups. (laughs) Well, you know, if you're coming to my New Year's party, that's where you're getting your champagne. (laughs) I did notice the clock on the wall. And I just thought he was going time zone to time zone, which would have been a great movie if he was getting on the plane and he had to hurry up to make each kill in each time zone. Yeah, but he'd need, like, Knight Rider's car to pull that off. 230 miles an hour. I think he would have to have wings, yes. Or just travel far north up to, like, Antarctica where they're very close together. (laughs) Just knock on the next door. (laughs) But you asked why this gimmick... And is it just his reign of terror to terrorize Blaze and everyone? I think that's what it comes down to. But it also is said he hates women because of, like I said in the summary, he's upset with Blaze because she is a heartless job-focused bitch who controls all the money because she's the famous one and he's the nut. So he starts off in his old sanitarium seducing this nurse and we get our wonderful gratuitous sex scene that horror films need to have and I'm happy for it. And he has this weird look about him where like he looked familiar to me like later in life would star on Melrose Place or something. He's got TV sheen all over him and 70s TV sheen. Not in Melrose Place, more like Love Boat. He definitely has the normal blamely good looking vibe of a preppy early 80s I guess for lack of a better word, stud. They're going for Ted Bundy, right? Ted Bundy was a good-looking guy that preyed upon nurses. I think that's what this opening kill is supposed to make us think. What I also got off of him was a big Ray Liotta vibe. The crow's feet and the squinty face of Ray Liotta. So when he'd smile, I'd just see shades of Liotta in that. But he seduces and kills the nurse. It seems like a lot of work for a slasher to go through all the trouble of seduction. Maybe he was horny. But he wasn't. He didn't do anything except stab her. And not with his dick. (laughs) I thought that it was that he had a thing against working women. She was a nurse. She was employed. The woman that he's targeting is also working and he resents that. 
I'm convinced that if Blaze did not have a job counting down New Year's, he would not be killing at the stroke of midnight. This is all just so that he can call in every hour and keep making more and more ominous threats. But I think that the psychopathology here is I want to kill working women because that's what I hate. I hate the fact that they make more money, that they're bettering me, and I'm supposed to be the breadwinner. In 1980, the breadwinner is always the man in the house. And I'm just in a slasher movie mode. You've got to have a body count. You're in the sanitarium. I figured there was some significance to the sanitarium, but I was just taking it as it's a horror movie. It's a kill. It's the Eastern time zone. And I kind of liked that gimmick. But then the movie kind of turns comedic because for his second kill, Central Standard Time. (laughs) It's me, Evil. Remember me? She could have stopped all the killing if she had been like, no, who, what, what do you want? <laughs> he would have just limped away. He wouldn't have killed one other chick that night. He would have just been like, oh, shit, she won't even pay attention to me when I'm slashing women's tits. <laughs> That's why you never marry a rock and roll punk DJ, I guess. For his second kill, he puts on a fake 70s stash and glasses. I'm like, nobody knows what he looks like anyway. <laughs> So why does he need a disguise? Well, he is tipping the cops off, so there is the possibility that someone might see him leaving the scene in the previous disguise. He dressed up as a doctor first time. Now he's stalking singles bars. He might as well, yes, put on the leisure suit. You know, this is the environment in which it's dangerous. You know, he's affecting the look of a Lothario who is seducing a bimbo by telling her he knows Eric Estrada. <laughs> Eric Estrada gets you laid? I guess in 1980 it does. Yeah, it would, because that's the height of chips, and he was one sexy Latin bitch. But I'm trying to figure out, are they trying to write comedy? Because the bimbo brings along her friend for the Eric Estrada party. Her friend who has anxious diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) But I got the impression that the girl that was being taken to the party was the slut, and the other girl was along to make sure she didn't do anything she'd regret. You had to keep in mind, singles bars were seen as a place of sleaze and ill repute. The whole culture was against women expressing themselves sexually. So yes, the message was, if you go out there, some sleaze bucket is going to take you home and slit your throat. And that's what we get, but it's so comedic because he's watching the clock and you hear the countdown and he's just pissed off because he can't get the blonde alone to kill her. It's the gimmick. I know, he's really harnessed by the gimmick. He's like speeding around, like, how am I going to do this in this time frame? Why do you have this time frame? Will anybody know if you cheat a little? You just play the tape back and say it was midnight. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. It's important to him, though. It's not important to anybody else, but it's important to him that at the stroke of midnight, he's plunging the dagger, or in this case, putting a bag of marijuana over poor Sally's head. And he's audio recording all of this to play for Blaze, so that's why it has to be at midnight. I think it would have been a lot of trouble to tell them, oh, I have to audio record the midnight being (laughs) rung in in Central Standard (laughs) Time. And then start playing it back when he wants to stab her or suffocate her. But it's great that he just leaves the woman there to go take a shit. And then she comes out, she thinks she's ditched, which would make sense. He got his second kill, but he's waiting for her to kill her too. Now, I understand that she almost fucked everything up. He has some rage, but 
it breaks his rule, right? Shouldn't he, like, hang around till 11 p.m. Los Angeles time to kill her? The first girl, the nurse, was found in a closet by a co-worker with one shoe off, dead. And so, yes, when she's walking up to a dumpster with the blue dress hanging out and the shoes on the pavement where the car used to be, I'm not thinking that he's hiding in the trash waiting to pull her in and kill her too. Well, I was all worried he was ahead of schedule. For that matter, why did he kill Yvonne when she did? What was it, like New Year's in Australia? What? Yeah, then he dresses up like a priest. Again, no one knows what he looks like, but now he's a priest. Where was he going to go? What was the plan originally? Was he going to get a nun? Clearly, the victim that he chooses is a victim of happenstance. It's not that he had any of this planned out. It should be pointed out. He is driving around randomly. This is a random-ass plot. And he breaks his rule again because the biker flips him off and he just, because he's a homicidal maniac, hits the biker with his car. (laughs) No, no, he was not paying attention. He didn't kill him on purpose. He was looking down and then we get this weird moment where there's pictures of priests and nuns and we're led to believe that these people might have been what made him so crazy to begin with. But when he looks up, it was accidental collision. But I think if you're taunting bikers... They were taunting him, really. But I think if you're involved in some sort of altercation with bikers, maybe you want to watch where you're going. But the bikers chase him to a drive-in where he just steals a different car with a naked girl in the back. He's desperate. He stabs another biker to get out. But yeah, he drives away and the thought is what? That he just has to keep her alive until the midnight thing. It has to be exactly at midnight and then he'll have completed his next duty. I'm telling you, just tape ahead. We do it here at Now Playing. It's not New Year's Eve, people. We've already taped this damn show. And we hope the Mayans are wrong. (laughs) Every day is New Year's Eve to me. That's why I am drinking now. It's just so shitty at this point because the car drives away. She's like offering to fuck him if he lets her go. And then two people walk out in the middle of a like four lane street and he can't get around them. I like this one because, you know, poor Mountain Time. Mountain Time is like the Jan Brady of time zones, right? It never gets any respect. Nobody cares about anybody in Mountain Time. It's like New York, Chicago, L.A., and uh, Aspen. (laughs) (laughs) Who gives a fuck? I'm sorry, it's flyover country. All of this setup feels so arbitrary. I like the fact that I'm surprised because she gets away. He does not complete his mission. He is completely thrown off. We've not quite sure what his mission is, but we know that it's very important that he's plunging the dagger at the stroke of midnight. He doesn't do it. And this is where I realize this movie sucks. Because if you're going to have a movie about a killer, and you want to scare the audience, the killer must be unstoppable. For all your wiles, for all your smarts, for all your cunning, you cannot escape. That is what makes it scary. She is running from him in a wooded area. She stops to cry against a tree. He's stalking after her. I'm having scenes right out of Friday the 13th. He just needs a hockey mask. But she'll never get away, right? Why is she stopping to hug the tree? That's her doom. No, she's going to hide under the bleachers. Well, the killer obviously knows exactly where she is, right? Because to be scary, the killer must be omniscient and just know where you are and pop out and boo, loud noise, crescendo of music, blood. But she just hides under the bleachers. He taps them. I think he's doing like some bat sonar thing. Where's the reverberation not hitting so I can find the ditzy naked blonde? No, he just leaves 
First of all, it means he's not scary because you can escape him. Second of all, it means he's not scary because his plot, as ill-defined as it is, is screwed now. There should be some ramifications for missing Mountain Standard Time. But he's okay because he's one ahead from Central Standard Time. He kills more than four people, but he does not do it in the way that he set out to do. And we never understand why he has to do it this way anyway. It's, yes, what it really has told you by this point, despite the fact that I like the surprise of it, is that our killer's not very good at his job. But keep in mind, there is not a long history to draw on on how your killer should be. Usually, the killers in these kinds of movies are unseen, and so they're in a box. I understand that, and that's what I said earlier, where I understand that they didn't know the rules yet, but what it comes down to is, does it work or not? Is it scary or not? Is it fun or not? I'm kind of laughing at this movie because of the silliness of having such an incompetent killer, but it's not working for me as a horror film or a thriller because I had figured out early on it was the dad, and he's not very scary, he's not very good. He is no Jason. He is no Michael. Because neither of them ever fucked up until the final girl. This guy's fucking up left and right. Yeah. It undermines him as a villain. You look at the horror franchises that work, you always end up cheering for the villain. Nobody's ever going to cheer for Dick. Well, visually, I don't get what his get-ups are. You know, he keeps changing disguises so he can get away. He knocks out a security guard so he can slip into this high-security Holiday Inn. But when they're finally reunited, husband and wife, what the hell is this? This was the plan that the son inferred about all this time? This was the surprise? I'm surprised. Unpleasantly surprised. So he's finally there, and I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. And instead... An elevator drops. This is the moment where we know Richard is evil. The next scene, when she gets in the elevator to go back and finish the show, is when we find out why evil is attacking his wife. He wants to take his son to the Rose Bowl. Isn't he a little bit old for this father-son activity? What the hell? Is she keeping him from going to the Rose Bowl with his son? Is that why he's putting a nylon on his face and tearing up roses? Is that what fans at a football game do? I don't know. I don't go to too many football games. Is that crazy fan behavior in 1980? Well, I see a lot of people at the Rose Bowl putting nylons on and piercing their ears. I don't know. But it was red fishnet pantyhose. But it was his mom's. Yeah, that's what's weird. Uh, There's all kinds of hot mess going on in this. It's just... I think at the end of the day, however it's parsed out by the people that want to try and psychoanalyze the movie, it's very clear that it's the fact that she's this working punk woman that is the bad influence on them. They are crazy because of the work that she does and the way that she behaves. And they even call it out in the movie that he's slashing their breasts. I didn't notice that. I mean, he suffocated one with some Colombian weed. But yes, it was a mother fixation. So, okay, he's got weird issues with a mother. We know he's got weird issues with the Catholic Church. He was in a sanitarium. He's got drug alcohol problems. He also went to DeVry because he was able to rewire that elevator with just a screwdriver. (laughs) Yes. He knocks the cop out, but she's okay. He runs down the stairs, I guess, and reveals all and turns her into, I gotta love this. He turns her into a ball drop, a living ball drop. He's going to drop her from the top floor and smash her on the ground at the stroke of midnight. That's pretty badass. I like it. 
I didn't get the ball drop thing, though. I didn't catch that correlation, but you have it nailed right there. I just thought he was going to crush her in an elevator because it's an elaborate horror movie death. But no, it is glorious that his balls can't drop, so she will. So what you're saying is, though, he bumbled through a number of kills across a number of time zones, but he had this one planned out where he's going to drop her like the New Year's ball. I don't know how he could have this planned out. She's supposed to be on TV. Why would he presume that he could get to her when her job was to be on the air at the stroke of midnight? Look, he didn't have any good plans to begin with. I did want more of an explanation. I feel like everything goes incoherent. Not only does the motivation not come together, there's weird edits. It's like they didn't get enough coverage for this movie. All of a sudden, we're to understand there's some punks in the elevator with them that are dropping, and the cops are suddenly running around. Like I feel like there's whole scenes missing here. All of a sudden, he's on the roof. Yeah, I got kind of confused by that. Like I said, it feels incoherent. That's because it is. He does something with the machine that prevents it from dropping. Like, I don't know if the punks inside hitting it were the ones who stopped it from its fall, but he's interrupted by cops and Blaze's manager while he's trying to wire this whole thing. Yeah, he goes up to the roof and decides, okay, I'll kill myself. Was that always part of the plan? I thought he was going to the Rose Bowl. I think he just knew that he wasn't going to get out of this alive and he'd rather die than go to jail. No, he'd rather have played Hamlet. We at last know at least what he wanted to be famous for, reciting Shakespeare as he gets up on a Bud Abbott mask and takes a dive. I mean, what a way to go out. I don't think that Shakespeare would have approved of it, but I was impressed. And the son goes to him. He's weeping and clutching the body. Was the son in on it? Was this the surprise that he was inferring the whole time? Yes, that was the son was in on it. They were in this together. And that's why the son was so nuts the whole night is because he knew his dad was coming to kill his mom. It seems stupid to kill their money train. Well, then they'd inherit. Don't squash the hand that feeds you. And you want to talk about bad coverage. I was very disappointed in how the guy jumps off the roof. We do see him falling, but you got to see the impact, right? I agree. But let's think about, though, they probably didn't have the budget for it. There wasn't a lot of blood in this movie. I feel like this movie wasn't about splatter splatter. I mean, truly, a little bit of red sauce on a breast is just about all that we get here. That's all that I need. (laughs) (laughs) This movie really was a garbled attempt to be a murder mystery. Did not understand what we were asking for in a slasher movie. They didn't know about gore. They didn't know about Tom Savini. They just didn't know that we wanted to see that splat. But they did know we wanted a twist ending. Because you think it's all done, they're loading the body up, they're taking Blaze to the hospital because she's shaken, I guess. But her son, Bud Abbott, driving the car. I saw that coming a long Mm -hmm. ways away. It was very predictable and a lazy way to end it. I didn't predict that it was Hawaiian's New Year's, though. On the radio, they're still reporting that it's Honolulu. I guess that means he can kill her. He couldn't kill her if it wasn't New Year's. Would he have to wait 365 days to do it otherwise? That's probably why this gimmick didn't really take off for future sequels, is that it's just so goddamn inconvenient. Perhaps the sequel could have been President's Day Evil. (laughs) Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend New Year's Evil? I do not recommend this movie. It is atrocious. 
It's convoluted. It doesn't make any sense at times. And there's no gore, which you got to have a gore factor for a horror movie, I think. And if you don't have the gore, you've got to have really good implied gore. Or if you don't show it directly, you got to have good splatter or something to make us know that people are getting killed. The only way I'd ever think you need to see this is if you're a big Pinky Tuscadero fan. And I don't think there's a single one out there. I do not recommend it. No, absolutely not. Stuart. There's one fan out there, and I'm going to say yes. How could you guys hate on this movie? This is hysterical stuff. I had fun with this. I mean, I think this one's fun. You guys are attacking it for being a bad movie. That's a foregone conclusion. It's called New Year's Evil. This crazy voice alone gets it a recommend. I wish it were sillier. I can say that. I honestly wish they used the holiday better. I wish that they had had a little bit more fun with the kills, with the gore, and being crazy. But this movie is much more fun to me than watching Friday the 13th. As long as you understand what you're in for, ring it in. It would be a good party game to watch as you count down. A couple drinks would help. I want to recommend this film. I want to tell everybody to go see it just for the Phantom Caller's voice. Unfortunately, that's a great YouTube video. It doesn't sustain an 85-minute movie. I know it's going to be a bad movie too, Stuart. I think several of the Friday the 13th films I've recommended were bad, and some of the other horror films we've recommended in the past, but the thing they had was consistent fun. And where you and I have always diverged on this so bad it's good kind of thing, is you're able to find the peanuts in the pile of shit, and say because there were peanuts in there, that's tasty. (laughs) And for me... I can't go with that. The peanuts in here are too sparse. It's mostly just mushy shit. Their killer is not scary. The killer is not fun, except when he's doing his phone-ins, which he only does a couple of. If he went through the whole night and did that voice, it would be a camp classic. It would be hysterical. This just is a bad movie that feels almost made for TV with nipples. The family drama isn't there. There's not a single likable character on the entire screen. We're supposed to connect with Blaze? I don't. I find her completely despicable and unlikable. I almost think if you're going to make this movie, make us root for Richard. She's such a bitch anyway. Let her get what she deserves at the end of this movie. It's poorly filmed, poorly acted. I don't find any fun here after those phone calls. So it's a pretty strong not recommend. And I don't think I'm being dour and grumpy. I think... This movie just doesn't have that much fun. You might be right there. I mean, I do think that the trailer is hysterical and might be all that some people need. But it's just not made to be watched. You come in, you come out, you talk to people, you look up at the screen when something happens. I think it's that kind of movie. I do think that there's fun here. I think you guys are really being party poopers and going to bed way too early. You should stay with this movie to the end. There's funny stuff all the way to the end. I mean, the Rose Bowl, for Christ's sake. Yeah, but I can't recommend a movie that isn't intended to be sat there and watched. It's like Halloween 3. I didn't recommend it, but I watch it every year in that walk-in, walk-out kind of way. And I definitely think that there's a few funny moments here, but to recommend a film, even if I'm recommending a bad film, I have to be able to pay attention beginning to end. 
should this movie be forgotten, never brought to mind, it would make me very happy. But I see that they are doing another movie named New Year's Evil. Now, it's a very low-budget, independent thing. They've only got 40000 bucks to do it with. It may never see the light of day. It could be a student film, for all I know. And it may just be a reused title with absolutely no connection. But they are making another New Year's Evil. Yeah, it's slated for release, well, at the end of this coming year. And I was reading a little bit about the crazy and his, on his website, he says it's about seven people in a cabin that get slashed while partying for New Year's. You know, the only cabin in the woods I want to see now for 2013 is the Evil Dead. I'll make a resolution that we can leave New Year's Evil and everything we've done behind in 2013 and look forward to another great year of now playing. It's going to be big next week. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we return to that one with the next installment in the film. Texas Chainsaw 3D, no more massacre, apparently. It's just a chainsaw in 3D. And if there's not a chainsaw flying in my face, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. And then we're going to yippee motherfucker, with Die Hard. Then after Die Hard, we are starting our biggest retrospective series ever. All the Stephen King movies... In order of book publication, kind of a weird way to do it, but it makes a sort of sense. As much as any when you're tackling a franchise that has 80-some installments in it, I can't even totally work out how many movies we're watching by doing Stephen King. It certainly won't all be done by 2013, but we're going to get started with that new Carrie movie that's got Chloe Moretz in it. I'm optimistic. I think that could be good, and I'd certainly want to get back to the Brian De Palma one. It's a good way to start King and a good way to start out 2013, I think. And I'm just looking forward to having you watch The Rage Carry 2, which I have seen for fun, and now you must watch. I feel like I'll have to clockwork orange you on that one. I don't know really much about that, but I'll take your word that it's horrible. I I can't wait to be tortured. It won't be the first time. So stick with us as we ring in a great 2013. Thank you to all the listeners. You will not be forgot. All your donations and positive iTunes reviews are often brought to mind. So thank you for your support, and we hope that you will enjoy what we have planned next year. So Stuart, Marjorie, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. And until next time, Happy New Year's Eve! To die to sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to thank you for listening to this episode of now playing hell of a way to bring in the new year huh if you enjoy this podcast you can hear more movie reviews at our website nowplayingpodcast.com right this way you can hear reviews of the Halloween movies Friday the 13th A Nightmare on Elm Street Terminator, Star Trek, and hundreds more. Yeah, I uh, always come well-equipped. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Look, I tell you what, why don't you tell me all about it later, after the show? You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. I'm ready. I have to bring my roommate Lisa along. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Buy the biggest goddamn bottle of champagne they got. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Yeah, we could just get the ratings, beat the network's out in prime time. 
You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Frankly, if you'll excuse my saying so, you've got to expect that from the type of audience you appeal to. Now Playing's New Year's Evil Review is edited by Dylan and Arnie. You people amaze me. Here you create a problem and then you complain about it. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You don't waste much time, do you? No. I count every second. New Year's Evil is the property of Canon Films, and no infringement is intended. Look, I would like some police protection just in case. We already got cops here. Well, why don't you get some more cops? Okay, okay. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Listen to the replay. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. 20 seconds. 15 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year. Pinky and the Fonz were popular because they were a couple, but she was only on like two or three episodes. They were great episodes. They were. He was the one that jumped the shark, by the way. Yes, and that guy just died that wrote that episode. Happy New Year. And he says that at midnight, Pacific Standard <laughs> Time. Oh my god, I was laughing so hard because he was so fucking specific about his time zones. I think this movie was time zone propaganda. Happy New Year. You look at the horror franchises that work, you always end up cheering for the villain. Nobody's ever going to cheer for Dick. Well. <laughs> Happy New Year. Evil. You all right? Oh, that hurts. Yeah, I think you're going to have to quit doing that. <coughs> <laughs> I think you're going to have to stop. I think that's your resolution for next year. No uh. more funny voices that can cause you to lose your voice. Uh. Happy New Year.